Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for joining me here today. My name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors at the Vine Church here in Pasco, Washington. And uh, thank you for the invitation into your home and your life as we continue in this season of Advent. Now, Advent is a season in which we anticipate the coming of Jesus. It's the four weeks traditionally leading up to Christmas Eve, uh, and then Christmas when we celebrate Jesus' birth. Uh, it's also a season in which we anticipate Jesus' second coming, a time when Jesus will come again and set straight this world. And so in the season of Advent, together this morning, we explore the subject of love. We've looked at hope, joy, and peace, and today we're going to look at the subject of love. Now, conversations of love permeate both the Bible and our culture. This past week, I spent a few minutes, I did a word search uh, or a search on the internet exploring songs that talk about love, and we talk about love in very strange ways in our music. Um, Alicia Keys talks about falling in and out of love. Adele says, I'm going to make you feel my love. And I don't know why, but when I hear that title, I always hear it like in a Mr. T sort of voice, going to make you feel my love. And I don't know, that just doesn't compel me towards, you know, this idea of love terribly well. But some songs speak fairly well of the subject of love. I was John this week. I asked my niece, hey, what are songs that talk about love? And one of the ones she came up with was her mom's, uh, one of her mom's favorite songs by the Black Eyed Peas. It says, Where is the Love? And it's a fascinating song. I've been listening to that this week and thinking through uh, just the subject of where is the love. And they do a good job of speaking of love as an action, like the ways we would interact with each other in this world. So what is love? Is it a feeling? Is it a declaration? Is it an action? Is it a way of being? In some senses, it's all these things. So I want to take a few minutes and look at a biblical understanding of love, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and, and how does it speak of love? Now, in broad terms, in general, we'll recognize this as we look at Scripture today. Uh, love has to do with a posture and action that is dedicated towards the well-being or the interest of another. DC Talk got it right when they said love is a verb. It is an action. It is a posture. It is a way of being that has to do with the well-being and the interests of others. So, in the Old Testament, um, love was a central theme. It was uh, both a central theme in that uh, God loves humanity, but also a central theme in that humanity was to love God and each other. Deuteronomy 6 is a pivotal passage um, in the law in, in Israel. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be written on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk down the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols in your, uh, on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he goes on to describe 
the law goes on to describe, now these are to be central to you as a people, so central that you talk about them whenever you're together. You talk to your children about them. You write them on your doorposts. You wear them on as clothing. This is to be that central. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Now, as we move towards the New Testament, love continues to be a central theme. The New Testament, written in Greek, translated for us into English, Greek uses four different words to describe this one term that we describe as love. A number of ways love is spoken of in the New Testament. Phileo, for instance, is kind of the spontaneous natural affection. It's more of a feeling than reason. And and the New Testament does speak of this sort of love. About 25 times this is mentioned in the New Testament. Philadelphia is another Greek word for love, and it refers to a brotherly sort of love. But by far the most used word for love in the Greek New Testament is agape. And agape speaks of an, a loyalty and an allegiance, a posturing of engaging in the well-being of another person. So, for instance, when we, when we read uh, John 3.16, we read this, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. God so postured himself towards the well-being of humanity. Agape. God postured himself. He lived into this love that he had for humanity. It was not simply a feeling, but it was a way of being and a posture that he would take in this world. It goes on to describe that posture being that of sending Jesus. To be a sacrifice for all who believe that we would not perish but have eternal life. This is God's love. Now, we recognize that God has and God does love us. And a central question to us as followers of Jesus ought to be so, what does this compel us towards? What does it mean for us in our lives? Jesus uh, is speaking with some of the um, religious leaders in the first century in Israel, and uh, they're trying to test him. They're trying to trick him into saying something wrong. And so they ask this commonly debated question in Israel in this season, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answers, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the greatest, he says, but he goes on to offer a second. And he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, according to Jesus, hang on these two commands. Love God and love other people. This is what God's love ought to do in our lives. It ought to compel us to live lives of love. Love for God and love for people. Again, not just a feeling like I feel like I love God, but posturing ourselves towards God towards his way in this world, posturing ourselves in a way that looks out for the well-being of other people in this world. That's the idea of love found in scripture.
I think First John does a beautiful job of describing what this looks like and kind of fleshing out what it is to realize that we have been loved by God and then living lives of love. I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage. It's in First John chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 21. I invite you as you listen, um, if, if you want to follow along, you're welcome to do that. But find yourself a comfortable posture. Take a deep breath and listen to the conversation of love found in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love another, love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be our savior in this world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, that we will be confident on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God hates, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. This lays out for us a number of beautiful and important concepts revolving around love. First of all, the directionality of love. Love comes from God. We rely on the love that God has for us. This directionality, love doesn't originate in and of us, but instead it comes from God. This triune God who is love, it says, this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit who exists in harmony, in love. And it goes on to describe this love being given to us that's made complete in community. It says in verse 12, his love is made complete in us, plural. In community, love is experienced and comes to fruition. There's this interesting section in here that speaks of judgment or a judgment day. And essentially it's saying this, if God didn't love us, we would have reason to fear what comes after this life. However, God does love us. And love drives out fear, so we live confident. 
We live lives of love. We don't have to be worried about that because we know that God loves us. And he, he challenges us to understand if you've not yet learned to love, then you're not walking in the way of God because God is love. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. What the author here is trying to flesh out for us is that it's easy to say you love God, but there's a way to know if you love God, if you're walking in relationship with him. And he says, the litmus test is going to be the way you treat others. The author here says, take a minute and pause. How are you living in relationship with your friends, with your family and Christian community? Are you walking in a way of love? If so, then you know you are walking with God because God is love. And God's love is overflowing your life into the lives of others. This will be the test. How do they love? Jesus, in fact, speaking to his apostles, he says, they'll know my followers by this. They'll know them by their love. You see, God is love. And he is pouring his love into us. Throughout these passages we've explored today, we've come to this realization that God's love was most poignantly demonstrated in sending Jesus to walk amongst us. God has come near. And in the season of Advent, we remember Jesus has come and Jesus is coming. In love, Jesus was given to humanity. And so we are invited to live lives of love. We were created in God's image. God is love. We were created in his image, which means we are both meant to receive and to give love. Now, the rest of the work is yours to do. What does this compel you towards? A message on a God who is love, who loves you very much and is inviting you to live a life of love what does it compel you towards? Who does it compel you towards? How does it compel you, us, to posture ourselves in this world? Yes, we want to feel the love of God and feel the love of people around us. But love is more than just a feeling. Instead, it's a posture that we choose in this world. What does love compel you towards in this season of Advent. Let's pray about that. God, I thank you for this time that we can explore your word, explore specifically the subject of love. God, thank you that you are love and thank you that we are invited to experience, to know your love in our lives. And God, as we experience your love, may it overflow into the lives of others. Teach us what it is to live in a self-giving posture to live in the way of Jesus in this world. God, may your love be complete in us, in community. May we experience and demonstrate your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, again, I thank you for joining us this morning. It's good to have spent this time with you, invite you to go and live in the way of Jesus, the way of love in the week to come. Blessings.